Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello and welcome to Life List. Good to be back with everybody. I am here with both Alvaro Jaramillo and Molly Brown. Good to be with you guys today. Uh, I'll start with Molly. How's it going with you, Molly? It's been great. Feels like fall, and fall is my favorite time of year and my favorite birding of the year. So I'm in a good mood. Here, here, I am with you. There, this is my favorite season as well. How about you, Alvaro? What are you doing? I'm I'm back in town at home. Um, but you know, it's a whirlwind several days. But a return from Spain, and uh, yeah, had a couple of boat trips and etc. It's good. Nice. Excellent. Nice. That's what we like to hear. Um, Molly, how, what, are you, what are you doing so far for fall? How, what have you been up to the last, last couple of weeks? Well, I, I hate to say that I haven't got to do a ton of birding lately, but I have been out on a few good migration days. Um, one of the highlights around here is that we have a pretty good pass-through of Connecticut warblers, and they're early this year. Um, I think Ooh. about a a week earlier, so that yeah. I've got out, and it's always a goal to go out and find some of them. I know you've seen them too over on your side of the Appalachians, George. Yeah, it's been it's been my best fall ever, and just like you say, it seems like they're moving early here as well. Um, I've seen four already this year. I haven't I haven't gotten the usually. I'm lucky if I get one around here, you know. Uh, but it's been good so far. If yeah. four four maybe tied to how many I've seen in my entire life. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm I, still waiting on the good stop photo. talking about them now. Oh, no chance. No, we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen one in the spring, but I I've had three in one binocular view in the fall. Jeez. That's my standing I, record. That's ridiculous. I've never lived in Connecticut. So that radically decreases <laughs> my chances or yeah, maybe I am it doesn't, going to right? Connecticut every morning, so <laughs> that's how I'm getting them. <laughs> yeah, that's how I get my Philadelphia Vireos here. The one time I've ever <laughs> seen them in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's like uh, I don't think I've seen a palm warbler on a palm, but there you go. These these are just names, <laughs> folks. They're yep. not to be taken seriously. That well, maybe some sure. of them are actually. I didn't mean it to be like a political statement. I just thought. Oh, know, boy. Like, you uh, just changed the direction of our whole you episode. Really I know. <laughs> I know. God, I just thought about that. You know, just, I was just thinking about palms. Yeah. <laughs> Alvaro, my goodness. Taking I us know. down that road again. No. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was so psyched. Like, I like literally went out looking for Connecticut warblers in downtown Philly here. These like you know, Washington square, basically it's a concrete jungle with this little patch of green in it. And right, right by independence hall there, uh, a couple of folks had seen Connecticut warbler in another spot nearby. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to see if I can find Connecticut warbler at this spot. I like going to, and you know, lo and behold, we had two right there. And one of them was just walking around on the lawn, you know, like acting like an American Robin or something. It's just like hopping along right out in the open ridiculous i still didn't manage to get good photos some a dog walker came by and it kind of flushed up it actually went up about like 50 feet up into a london plane tree and it was like looking around it's it like wow i've never seen one that high before but i think this might actually be the easiest way to see them around here they get they get kind of trapped like a lot of songbirds do you know they get into center city and they get kind of you know 
trapped in in among these tall buildings sometimes, or they're flying over. They see this little bit of green space. They think, "Geez, sun's coming up. That's that's as good as I'm going to do uh, for habitat." So they pitch in there, and then you know that makes them easier to see. Unfortunately, you wonder what happens to a lot of them, and we have seen some window strikes here, but still. A treat to get to see them up close and to see them at all is is a treat, but to see them up close is really nice. So uh, yeah, that's been a treat here as well. Alvaro, what what do you uh, you've been offshore? I know lately. Yeah, um, back to back trip Saturday and Sunday, but this is after arriving from Spain on the evening of Friday. So I basically slept a few hours then drove down to Monterey and had a boat trip and came back here and had another boat trip the next day. It was kind of like boom, boom, boom. No, I actually highly recommend it as a, you know, um, as a way to sort of re incorporate your body to a new time zone, just do it two boat trips. Cause you're going to be so tired after that. That it doesn't matter where you were or what was going on that you're going to sleep well at the right <laughs> appropriate time of day or no night choice, or whatever. It's no just, choice yeah. in the matter. That's quite a no, tip. <laughs> I know. It's like a super tip. Just like a couple of, you know, long offshore boat trips. Could be fishing, could be birding, could be anything. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's a way to get yourself right back to, to square one. But yeah, it was good. I mean, we are having this really great year out here. Like lots of volume of birds, dolphins, whales. We saw blue whales the other day. Um, and and just uh, some oddities like the short-tailed shearwaters are coming down in big numbers to the Pacific Northwest, and they're sort of starting to sort of show up here much earlier and in larger numbers than usual. Um, we have had a Jaeger show that's unparalleled, just tons of Jaegers attacking, you know, turns and savins gulls, and also, you know, a a little smattering of of um, Manx shearwaters, which are really in the wrong ocean. Although you know we're beginning to believe that they're probably nesting somewhere up in you know southeast Alaska, but um, they're not always findable. And this year they've been findable. You know, sort of almost, you know, a bird every two days. And um, there's the other stories that there's this. Um, short-tailed albatross that keeps going up and down the coast in California that was visible from land the other day in Monterey. And uh, that was like just two days after we'd been out there, you know, offshore. Uh, so that was, we missed that, but it's kind of cool that it's around. And then Saturday we saw brown booby and Sunday we saw Nazca booby. So it's just like, boom, 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 boom. It's just like, it was, wow. It was like, Kind of like, you know, like a video game of birding, like just birds coming at you all the time, the whole day, just like, wow. You hopefully know? hopefully they're not angry with you. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, or they're not trying to eat you like Pac-Man or something, old school. Um, yeah, but uh, just really enjoyable trips, just lots of life. Just, you know, what the kind of thing where I always say it's like the Serengeti of the seas, you know, out there. Oh, I like and that. I've never like heard that. you say that before. That's good, man. Conjures <laughs> some good imagery. It's good. Yeah. So that well, I'm good. heading out for my first East Coast Pelagic the last weekend of September. So I'm going off of Hatteras and I'm really wow. excited about that. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. way behind both of you. I talked about my first Pelagic 
a, a couple episodes ago when I was out off of uh, uh, Kauai. And yeah, that was a super easy one. And I was very nervous about getting seasick because I do deal with that a lot. So I'm, I'm stepping it up now. But I'm, yeah. I'm so excited. I love like the first trip somewhere where I don't care what I see. I'm going to be happy with any of it. You know, I don't really have a, a target list. I'm just out to enjoy it. And I don't get that a ton in the U.S. at this point. So it's really exciting to do it on the East Coast as well. Yeah, and it's, it sounds like, uh, you know, an addiction kind of coming on because it mm. can happen. Slippery slope, Molly. On these... Slippery I... slope. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it like hawk happen. watching. You know, like you start hawk watching, like, well, is this going to be that fun? You just sit, and then you're like, oh, I'm hooked. You know, like you're just <laughs> waiting for a rafter to go over, like looking at the sky longingly. That's what happens with the ocean, too. <laughs> I wouldn't say that would never happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing how that goes. And, you know, one of the, the best parts about that, Molly, is that you'll get to hear Brian Pattison go through his his spiel before everybody gets on the boat. And he tells them about how not to get seasick and, uh, and the things that you that you don't do. And he's, he's, he's spiced it off. He spiced it up a bit. Used to be, uh, used to be that he kind of, it was kind of rote, you know, but now he's, uh, he's spiced it up. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I find that part always entertaining. It's like, you know, don't, don't, uh, vomit inside the cabin and, uh, you know, uh, make sure you're, make sure (laughs) you're downwind of everybody and, you know. Like the Southwest flight attendant version of like <laughs> the airline regulations. Yeah, just just mix in like an Amherst, Virginia accent, and and uh, yeah, you're off to the races. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, nice, nice. It's so it's so funny how like the the same kind of thing when you go on a whale watching boat. It's it's so they're like really super friendly, and you know they're more like the Southwest people. But if you're on a fishing boat or a birding boat it's always way more like drastic you yeah know, like don't do this yeah don't do <laughs> like, that you'll Versus, be thrown you know, like, overboard right you know if you Versus, bring a banana hey, on board i know, know. <laughs> hey folks you know we're here to make this a really pleasant experience or whatever you know like that's the whale boats you know and the bird boats are like don't throw up in the cabin don't yeah <laughs> There's, I always, I loved our buddy Dave Stasekel used to have a t-shirt that he'd wear on tours and it would say, the beatings shall continue until morale improves. <laughs> it's a good, great tour shirt. Good for, good for boat captains for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you don't get, I don't think a lot of people get to be sort of boat captains by, you know, cause they were jovial kind of happy-go-lucky folks you know like that they go to boat (laughs) captaining because you kind of have a super love for birds to see the fish or something but not not necessarily anything else (laughs) you know sort of like sort of exclusionary you know yep crusty old limited and my limited boating experience i have been on hog island and those folks they're they're happy-go-lucky Oh yeah, people. and they're just pulling in lobster for dinner as you go, and I, I guess you can't be sad if you're doing that kind of. I was thing. gonna say, but, no uh, wonder they're happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The camp version—that's that, a pretty rosy one. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I got to do that someday. Everyone raves about Hog Island. One, one thing. Uh, one other newsy 
tidbit I did want to share from bird, recent birding experience was I did my first ever birding in Brooklyn and like got my, I'd never really done any birding hardly in New York city. Um, friend Chris Bell from the birders show was coming up here, uh, just for a day. And, uh, he was like, Hey, uh, I'm going to be in town. You got, you know, New York, you got any recommendations? He's like, I, I, you know, he's British. He's like, I've never been birding in Eastern North America before. He was like, I really want to see Cardinal and Blue Jay, Downey Woodpecker, you know, like, I was like, this is awesome. I've totally got to go be a part of that. And like, you know, so we got on the horn with, uh, with Doug Gatchfeld, who's, you know, kind of resident Brooklyn expert. And we, we had a pretty rainy morning. Uh, we got, we got real wet real quick and Chris had to board a flight later that afternoon. And he was like wringing out his socks before we, when we dropped him off at the airport, um, cause we got so wet, but we did, uh, at the Greenwood cemetery there, we actually found a, a Townsend's warbler, which was like a real good bird for, huh. you know, anywhere in the East. It was like one of these things I kind of saw it poke its head out for a second. And I was like, was that a black throated green warbler? Like, <laughs> I don't think that's what that was. And then I heard Doug kind of go like, <laughs> like, he was like all surprised. Like, what it was like, what am I looking at here? And, uh, and then we were like, we better go get our cameras. And, and we, we, uh, we circled the wagons and eventually found that thing up in a, got better photos and views of it up in a, in a big bald cypress. And some folks came by and saw it. It was a pretty neat bird to see in the East. So that was, that was real fun. So was Chris more excited about that or like the the blue jay and the cardinal? He was definitely more excited. Uh, like the downy woodpecker, I think he was like particularly excited mm. about. But like I think he he liked seeing the twitch unfold. You know, he liked seeing like the Brooklyn birders kind of they like it was like a couple showed up and then a couple more and, and then it was like, Oh hey, you know, it was like reunion. Everyone's like, I I know you, haven't seen you in a while, good to see you. It's like, you know how it is. That's part of the fun of those rare birds. Everybody sees each other. So I think he enjoyed actually that aspect of it probably more than anything else. But I, I do remember him when he was saw the downy woodpecker. He looked like, you know, sort of like he was like, oh, you know, like he had that kind of like, this is an awesome bird. And I was like, yeah, it's, it is an awesome bird. Cute little so woodpecker, you know. Brook, Brooklyn Twitch, how long does it take for a, a Brooklyner to come to a rare bird once <laughs> it's been reported? Like what's the – I mean, is it faster than the fire department or <laughs> – or roughly, or, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty fast, man. I think it all like there was somebody that was actually already in another part of the cemetery, and all of a sudden they were like, boom, they were like right there, you know. And uh, but people were popping up like popcorn pretty quick, kind of behind <laughs> side of the gravestones, like just heads come up with binoculars suddenly. <laughs> That'd be spooky. That's I know. Why that's did something I go you there? don't see when you're traveling much. <laughs> yeah, you mean like the the twitch? Yeah, like getting to see local birders come out. Yeah, exactly. I've not really seen that when I'm traveling. That's really cool. Yeah, no, he he totally dug that, and it's true. It's like you know when we go on trips, we're looking for for the kind of the regular stuff, the stuff that's supposed to be there. So we don't really we don't get to see the twitch very often. So that was pretty awesome. Sounds sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'll pivot here. Um, we did have a question from one of our listeners, friends, Adam Betchwell in Georgia, Georgia Audubon. He's like, hey, I've been enjoying the podcast. He said, one thing that I would love to hear you guys chat about um, 
is how you pr- prepare or plan for a birding trip. Um, and he said, really, it could, you know, he'd be interested to hear whether it was a morning outing, a half day trip or a longer two week trip. Um, and for the longer trips, like how do you study? What equipment do you use? You know, tips on luggage. Um, and, and, uh, he said, he's actually, he was like, I'm actually, I'm trying to get a new suitcase right now, which is kind of what made me think of all this. But I think it's a question we get a lot in the t- travel business is like, you know, especially if you're going someplace you've never been before, or, um, you know, if you, if you, even if it's someplace you've, you've been going for a while, how do you brush up and be ready? Um, yeah, I'd be curious to hear, um, from, from both of you. And maybe we'll start with you, Al, like, you know, you've done a, you've done a million and one Chile trips. Um, and then you've done a bunch of new destinations as well. What's, you know, how do you prepare? Um, it it might be interesting too, to just hear how you prepare for like a Chile trip, like someplace you go a lot. Like I know you probably don't have to do a ton of prep, but I'm sure you have your routine of getting ready. Um, you know, maybe you want to share, share how that works for you. Yeah. I think the main thing is that you, no matter what, like if you're doing this for a, you know, pleasure or for a job, no matter what that last couple of days and the, you know, just before you, you get going, it's stressful, right? You're, you're trying to get a bunch of things done. There's, there's adrenaline, you're excited, you have limited time, and it all kind of coalesces into the kind of a real stressful situation. So I, I say minimize the stress. And the way you do that for me is, is make, not make a travel checklist, have a travel checklist that you, that you always use and you update after every trip you go on. And it could be a, an overnight trip or it could be like a three week trip to the Antarctic or something. So that, and with everything on it, like, you know, socks <laughs> you know even things that are really obvious toothbrush just everything um y- you can you know um some really obvious things uh, um you know your binoculars your scope your camera your whatever you, is that you need because y- you will forget the most obvious thing actually more easily than the less obvious thing so if it's all there and you got to cross it out actually print it out actually do old school, print it out and cross things out and put little notes because it might actually create a little shopping list for you too. Like, oh yeah, I need eye drops. Uh, I need, you know, it's always those little bits. Uh, I don't have a travel toothpaste thing, you know? So you got to go, you know, and just shop for that last minute or, or, or whenever, you know, depending on where you're going, maybe you, sh- you can shop for that when you get there. But I find having no stress, in the packing because you know you have a tried and true list is key like totally key um i you know i have i've got a pretty good memory but no don't trust it trust your list you know and um as you know as you as you um new things happen like you know i used to have my mini disc player right because that (laughs) had to play my little mini discs back in the day or my recorder and all of that yeah you know it's it, it's left the list because I don't, you know, I just take my, my phone now, but mm-hmm. you're taking your phone, make sure you put down your charger 
right? Because you're going to forget, you're going to take your phone, you're going to forget your, you know, your cord to charge it. Or, oh, yeah, I'm going to another country. It's got different plugs. That's the take one, man. little kit. Hmm. You know, for for different the different plugs or whatever. Um, I I can't. Uh, so many trips I've like left and then realized, oh, I don't have the right adapter. You know, it's yeah. Like, and then you're like, you got to hope that they have the right one in like the airport or something. You know? And you know, one thing that I got a tip on that was really a great tip was often, especially if you go to. European destinations or developing nations, you know, sometimes you have two plugs in the entire place, like your room or wherever it is. So take not only your adapter, but take a little extension cord with a multiple plug outlet so that you can make your, I think you probably blow up the uh, electrical system in the place, but you know, <laughs> especially Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you know that, cause you're going to need to plug in your computer, your, your, you know, camera for your for your um you know uh sorry yeah, the battery for your camera your phone all that stuff so so i would say those are some tips um i have other tips kind of in the covid world too that i can tell you later but yeah what do you think molly what's your thoughts on pre preparation yeah i uh i do the same actually i make a list i have a terrible memory so i use it um, I am very much a minimalist and try to take the smallest, like, single backpack that I can on trips. So I also take my list, and afterwards, I mark anything that I didn't use and see what I can pare down on to take, not take, on on future trips. So if you care about that, I would suggest checking your list both before and after the trip and seeing what is unnecessary there. Um, otherwise, I, I've invested in, like, nice clothes that will last a whole trip so that I, I specifically look for things that I can wash and even in a fairly humid environment, like I can hand wash them in the sink and they'll be dry the next morning um, so that I can just take a couple pairs of clothes and layer as needed and, and go with that. So I've, I've tried to invest in, you know, things here and there over the past few years. And I, I think it's really helped me with my traveling too, but I, I keep things as small and light as I possibly can. I, I could learn. I gotta admit, you. I'm a heavy traveler. I'm the yeah. opposite. Uh, I've never <clears throat> been able to do that. I don't think I'm as bad as Al, but I, 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 I get home and I'm like, man, I didn't use like a third of this stuff. You know, it's like just sat in my suitcase the whole time and made me carry. I made myself carry it around. I I do recommend this though. So if you've got like pants you know you're heavier it's stuff. good to have pants yeah. recommend pants. good to have, have yeah. pants you know yeah. trousers for the british in mm -hmm. the crowd so they mm -hmm. understand yes. what we're mm -hmm. talking about so that you um you go somewhere you know that's got amazing wine oh yeah bring back a couple of bottles wrap them up in your pants put it in the middle of your suitcase and it'll be okay you can bring <laughs> back those bottles in that and they won't break Spoken Knock on wood. Spoken like a veteran who's done it more than once. <laughs> well, my version of that, um, using my clothes as multi-purpose, I, I take one bag now. And I guess I'll mention the brand. So I use an F-stop bag, which is just really nice because they come with these big, thick inserts that I can get. I can fit my scope and tripod and camera lenses and binoculars and all the chargers and everything in that. So it goes in my backpack. And then I just wrap my clothes around all of that as padding. So my, my clothes go in there too. And 
everything's contained and I, I love it. I, I am very excited by efficiency on trips. So <laughs> that so makes me happy are, the whole time. Are you telling me you don't check in a bag? No, like, I hate checking bags. No, nope, wow. <laughs> wow. that's next awesome. level. That is next level. Yeah. I, I yeah. take one backpack if, if at all possible. And I generally have like a collapsible bag. That's, that's a mistake that I've made is not taking a day pack. So I only have the one thing and everything's stuffed in it. Um, but I take something for a day pack and, and pull it out when I'm there. But otherwise I, I stick with one bag and it stays with me. I have like the most massive bag that I check in and I just put everything in there. I like, I do extra shirts in case I can't wash anything. I'm totally like, I, I should stop talking because I'm not useful actually in this situation compared like to Molly. Alvaro's <laughs> tips are terrible. Let's say it. We love your podcast, except have that Alvaro guy shut up about oh, travel because he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Well, I will but, say I'm I'm not quite as careless if I'm guiding and if I know I'm responsible. Like I'll bring a little first aid kit or like I'll, I'll try to bring little things if if I'm responsible for other people. Right. That changes the scope a little bit. But I, I think it's com- it's really good. I mean, you're right though. I take a bunch of stuff. I got a big bag. I never use a whole bunch of it, and I think, why did I do? You know, like yeah. I mean. Alvaro's like, why did I bring this cinder block and this yeah. empty cardboard box and this kettlebell? I, I, don't, I don't know. I thought the later hosen would be funny. <laughs> you know? It is Germany after all. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's yeah i i also think it's it is uh it is great if you can come back with more than you went out in a sense like sort of you know like i said the wine or some coffee things coffee or buy a book out there wherever just a a little bit of that um it's not you know obviously if you don't consume anything that's really great for the environment but if you're going to consume something do it in the country you're visiting so you know like um for economic reasons for that, you know, little benefits that they get, especially like those coffees you can get in some of the birding places we go to that are family run, awesome birding spots and all that. Yeah. Some great coffee and supporting, uh, yeah, local, local businesses. Yeah. I guess if I was going to recommend one thing and maybe this is like just me, but earplugs, like bring earplugs, whether it's, or, you know, noise canceling headphones, but you know, I don't know, you get stuck on a flight and somebody's making a lot of noise or you're, you end up with a roommate who's, who's whistling like a woodchuck through the whole night, snoring, sawing logs, you know, I I apologize, George. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that I'm not naming any names, Alvaro, but, uh, but yeah, it's to the point where I actually, I think I always buy more earplugs before every trip. And I realized that I've got like dozens of earplugs. I don't, I don't use them as often as, but they're like a security blanket for me. Um, but I also, I think, it, especially if you're going someplace where you, the language is not your, is not English or is not a language, you know, it's, I think it's great to at least practice a little bit ahead of time and try to learn like some common you know, phrases, words that you might use. Um, yeah, it just seems like that matter matters. That can really open some doors. Um, if you, if you can learn a few phrases and, and, uh, 
and make people feel like you're you're making an effort. Um, so, I, and I love learning. That just like, reminded slang. me. A, a tip that I have if you're traveling, say, internationally or even somewhere where you won't have good phone service or have data, um, download offline Google Maps. And even if you're using it for just walking around or seeing around a city, that's saved me many times. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good call. There's also a uh, an app that I've used called Maps.me or maps.me that's got, you can download pretty good detailed maps for wherever you're going and use them offline. And that's been real helpful and you can save points and everything, but it's, I'm sure it's the same with Google. I've just always used Maps.me. Yeah, those are, those are real good. What about learning the birds? What do you guys, how do you got, Molly, maybe I'll start with you. How do you start, if you're going someplace new, you haven't been before and you're like, my gosh, I'm going to see a whole bunch of new birds. How do you try to, you know, get a toehold there? Yeah. Um, well, I'll start by saying I'm absolutely terrible at memorizing things. I, I'm i terrible at studying field guides. I, I try to, but um, it just does not work well for me. So I, I do use eBird a lot and I go through like the, the frequencies. I think if you do it by your target species, um, my main strategy for myself is to really nail down the common birds in an area and to spend most of my time studying them and really learning the the sounds as well. Um, I, I mean, I think I, I rely on my ears a lot in birding. So that's something that's really hard to get a hold of when I'm prepping for, for somewhere I've never been. But I try to focus on those um, and, and really separate them out. And then sort of my, my next layer to the strategy is just kind of getting a better idea of what to expect beyond that and try to get a good grasp on um, what what would be the, you know, the, the expected birds and what would be in place and out of place. Um, yeah. So, so that gets me pretty far. If I'm doing any sort of trip or anything that's sort of a scheduled, uh, itinerary, I try to go a a day or two early one to adjust to the time change because I don't do well with a little sleep. (laughs) So I, I try to get myself off. Okay. There. Um, but two, just to get to like, whatever city park parking lot anywhere I can to, to just dial in those common birds. If I can get that in place, then I, I feel like that helps me get my bearings a lot faster. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you that way. I, I, uh, I'm not as good at memorizing. I, I do good in the field. If I have a setting for a bird and, and I get to see it a couple of times in the field or I get to hear it in the field, I can, I can integrate that information pretty quick. Just, just studying from the page is harder for me. One thing I've started to do too is, is, yeah, like you say, learn the common birds, learn the common sounds. I feel like if you can learn, you know, even just five or six of the common bird sounds before you get there, you just you're way ahead of the game. You can you can really start to, you know, then pick through the stuff that you, you know, it might be harder to find or or that you're are, are bigger targets. Um, I think we have a tendency to focus on the big targets, you know, which often aren't necessarily real common. And, and so you, you get there and you're listening for this, you know, one thing that's actually not that common. And all, meanwhile, you're hearing all these other common birds sound off and you're like, oh, I don't even know what those are. So I, I do think that's a good tip. And often after a trip, if I've scattered a place, I will, when I'm going through my notes and, and I, I've made a list of stuff, I'll, I'll make a mark next to stuff that is really vocal, um, that you, you hear a lot on a daily basis. And that really helps the next time I go back, um, that's a good point. If I do have control over my itinerary, I know that I'm way better on day two in a location than I am on day one. 
So I, I really like giving myself time to go back to places. And I, I know I'll be a lot more satisfied if I have that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. The, for me, I look at the, I do the eBird bar charts just to see what's common. So, because you'll go, you know, if you're going to some tropical spot and there'd be like 300 species on a checklist, but only 50 of them really are common, if that. So you just sort of go through those. And then I, um, I look at the, if it's some place brand new to me, I look at the book and, and I use a book rather than an app. And there's actually a very specific reason for that is that the book lays everything out in a way that you visually take in all this information that hasn't been kind of um, parsed out for you. So in the app, like you click on a species, you get one species. And maybe there's like similar species and you click on that and then you get the similar species. But you've gone through this multi-step process. Well, in a book, you can often say, oh, look, here's all the rosy finches that occur in Bhutan or something, you know, I mean, or, you know, rose finches, I should say, that occur in Bhutan or something like that. And you're like, okay, that, you know, the eBird says only this one's relatively common. And then um, I look at it and I don't read anything about it, actually. I just look at the image and the name and I find that you just look at the, the picture of it and the name if you see that thing, what comes to your mind is the name. At least that's the way my brain works. I actually associate the name with the image. And if you can get photographs, go to eBird and actually go, okay, this is the common one. What's it look like? And you know, look at a bunch of photographs. And I've got to admit that I seldom study the sounds in a brand new place because I find that I'm just not going to know until I get there. And then in the field, I'll learn them. So, um, so by as the days go by, the common species become more incorporated, and you're you're like, oh yeah, you know that's what a common mina sounds like, you know, and yeah. and that's when um, Mo- Molly's yeah. mentioned getting in a day or two early, and that's like tremendously helpful. I find is like you get your feet wet, you learn those you know those those common sounds pretty quickly, and you're just immediately way ahead of the game. Yeah. I, I do, you know, uh, from just the travel perspective, a couple of things that came up when you guys were talking was um, Japan. You know, that's a real difficult kind of place uh, for language, right? Where you you might be able to learn a couple of words, phrases, but Google Translate, you know, the on your phone where you can actually take a picture of something like a menu. And it'll try to translate. It's actually pretty funny sometimes what it comes up with. Uh, and, and it's so useful when you, there is no English and you, you can do that. The other thing is I always try to get a local SIM card for my phone. You know, I've, I've gotten comfortable with taking out this, my SIM card, putting in local, local one, paying for whatever. It's way cheaper. Often you have functionality that's you know, more appropriate in one way or the other to, to where you're going. Um, because, you know, your plan may, whatever, you know, that depending on what your plan is. And if it's, you might say, oh gosh, it's only $10 a day to use my plan. Yeah. Well, by two weeks, you've, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bunch of money, you know, you could have, you know, spent all that on food, <laughs> you know, in some places it's, you know, you can eat, eat for $10 a day yeah. um, for two days no, it adds you know, up some quick. places. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, 
I suggest that. And also using, you know, if you're in town or somewhere, you can use Google Maps with your SIM card, you know, to find out where you're going or even taking trains in a place like Japan. It tells you exactly where to go. Go to, you know, the fifth um, platform at this time of, you know, and then get your train to wherever. And you think like, wow, I cannot believe I've just managed this whole thing without, you know, messing it up due to the phone. Like, you know, the, the smartphone just telling you what to do. And then you can always look, you know, go to the little train station place to get your food, your little bento box and stuff. And you know what you're eating and it's cool. I mean, uh, I think uh, cell phones have made things so much easier. Yeah. Um, I would suggest that. Yeah. So what's your strategy for finding food in a new place? Ah, uh, well, I, I sometimes read, I might study food sometimes more than I study the birds. I, I believe admit, that. Like, I believe that story. You know, That's very fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I read like, for example, oh, you, you go to the bullet train, you know, like the stations all have these super cool little food pack things you can buy and, you know, and so I started reading about them and each town has their own little different kind of food that's special. So I'll, I'll just Google what is special here, or what I should eat there and, and do that, you know, same, like if you're in Colombia, what kind of arepa is the local arepa that you want to try mm. out or, yes. or, or, you know, just even words for things like, you know, and, and they don't just say cafe in, in, in Colombia, they say tinto, you want a tinto. For me, a tinto is a red wine. Yeah. I didn't know that Colombia Tinto was, you know, so you, you just look up those things like, how do I order this or what's that? Or I, I do a little Googling and I sometimes even buy a book or two about food uh, and place I'm going to just to sort of get a grounding for how it works. Um, I mean, Spain, it was it's cheese, cheese, vegetables, um, ham, you know, and you just sort of got to know, well, what's so special about the ham? You know, it's like, what's going on? And, you know, that, that kind of thing. And then you have context. Um, I like that. Yeah. The food oh, is we such saw a some birds too. Yeah, and the, the food is such a big part of the, the travel experience, especially it seems like for birders, you know, most of us really connect with the place through the meals. Um, so that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know gazpacho came in different forms, you know, like there's subspecies, but, you know, you just think, oh, it's just cold tomato soup, isn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Adam asked about a suitcase. Yeah. So, yeah, let's, what are your, what, what style suitcases do you all use? Well, I've got me and I think I've got like a two or three year old Eagle Creek that's pretty big. Um you know, I like the kind of the soft, the kind of it's got the soft bag with kind of the hard shell below. Like if it's like if it's say if sitting on a couch or a bed as you're packing it, you know, he's got kind of the hard shell and then and it's got wheels and then sort of a soft top. So it's like semi flexible and you can kind of adjust. There's like belts that help you kind of like pull it tight. Uh, so I've got an Eagle Creek. I forget what model it is. And but it does have wheels, um, which I like. Um and, you know, I think for me, the key is that I can fit a tripod into my into my bag. That's kind of, you know, a key feature for me. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you use now? I, I have a, 
I have a huge bag that basically like a hockey goalie could stuff their stuff into, you know, and <laughs> still have room, you know, even the stick. Um, and it's a big bag that actually does fold down. So if you ever have to like hide it away, it actually folds down. But I like, there's this brand called Briggs and Riley that I like partially because they do free you know, repairs and the repair place is right here in town. Mm. So I just take it over there. I've had them for years. I just take it over there and they'll just repair a broken zipper or whatever. And they've been so good that I was like, gosh, you know, even though like the last model of this bag that I had was probably a little better, smaller size. And it was a little bit, um, yeah, it's a, this, this new one's a little big, but it works. I still went with them and I wanted a soft bag rather than a hard case bag so that I could, you know, play with it in terms of when you have to store it away in a like you know a galapagos trip you don't have much storage space on a boat you know just fold it down but i like the company i like the concept of you can always get it fixed you know and and it's like they no matter what happened even if the airline ripped it they'll fix it for you so that counts a lot for me um and uh yeah, they're more they're pricier than other bags, and they have all sorts of different models. But yeah, I like them, Briggs and Riley. Very cool. I don't even have a bag on wheels at this point. I did have one that had like the the three sixty wheels. I don't even know what brand it was, but it uh it broke a few years ago, and I haven't taken a big bag anywhere since. So <laughs> sticking <laughs> wow. with my F stop backpack for now. Nice, nice. You could get like a little, you know foldable scooter and that way you could just like wheel yourself around the airports and stuff you know and then <laughs> with your backpack on <laughs> that'd be cool i have to act like it is over the 50 pounds sometimes you know once you get your tripod and your scope and everything it, it adds up so i try to like act like i'm not tipping over when i'm strapped in and just <laughs> look like i'm carrying when, a when you're waiting in line there over stuff you're like yeah. no this isn't heavy <laughs> at all yeah yeah, and then I go to lift it up and just just try to do it fast and <laughs> hope nothing crazy happens. Yeah, I I I I have a backpack with my camera and all that that I take on board, and I, it's the same thing. It's really heavy, and I always just do it over the shoulder when I'm going on the plane, like pretending it's like nothing. You know, it's like hey, buddy. You know, meanwhile my shoulder's coming <laughs> off. It's you know socket. But anyway, you got to play the games. Yeah, <laughs> carrying a lot of glass in those bags. You know, one one topic we we should one day once we get informed or have somebody inform us, I'd love to find out more about all these new mirrorless cameras that are small and lightweight and cool. So here's there's a I'm I'm providing a topic here. I like it. Oh, look at this. Ooh, yeah. You yeah, can't can see talk. this. Folks, I just but. did. No, I've got my. My mirrorless camera, my my lens is the same size as my water bottle. That's my comparison there. So that's pretty fun. Um, I just did my first photography workshop. So I, I just have all this set up here. Last night I did a virtual one um, oh, cool. locally and was just talking about this. Oh, that'd be great actually for, yeah, educate us on some of this stuff because I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, there's I, I feel like I'm being left out. Even yeah. though. My, my camera's like less than a year old, but it's like a standard camera. I, I want to make the yeah. switch soon as well. I, it's the, uh, it seems like it's inevitable. It's just. That'd be fun to talk about. Yeah. Short that, version. 
Yeah. I didn't consider it until I used it for a month and then I couldn't go back. <laughs> yeah, and, and there I like the small size of some of the uh the lenses and the cameras and the weight. I mean, gosh, yeah, that that alone is appealing. Then you see the the crisp focus that some of these cameras are getting. It's like, wow. The autofocus really, is real fast on some of these things. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I think we're kind of getting over the hump where a lot of companies are really producing a lot of lenses for mirrorless cameras too. Just in the past year or so, there have been a lot more that have come out. So the options are increasing pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, we got a few minutes here before we wrap up. I was curious, Molly, I know we mentioned on one of the episodes, you had been at the Southeast Arizona Birding Festival. Um, would love to hear what your experience was like there. How did it go? Yeah. So um, I'm not misspeaking. I have to think back. Yeah, this is my first festival since COVID. Um, and I think one of the first birding festivals that was back and in person and they had a, a hybrid concept as well where they did some virtual things and and whatnot but um went to arizona i i've been to that festival several times before and i dearly love it it's a lot of fun um I, as far as the experiences that i had there compared to previous years it was fairly similar overall and that uh, most of the same field trips were run a lot of them were drive yourself, um, some for COVID reasons, well, all for COVID reasons, but um, also because of availability of vans right now um, and festivals adjusting with that. Um, we, we had a vendor area and uh, I got to, the birding co-op had a booth there, so that was really fun. Um, wore masks indoors. The The workshops were smaller and more limited, I think, than, than most years, but some did happen um, overall. Arizona is just fun. The birding is just awesome. Uh, I would never get tired of it. If you're like in town in Tucson in one of the city parks, it's awesome. If you're up on Mount Lemmon or out in Madera Canyon or whatever, it's awesome too. Um, so it, it was great. That's awesome. Yeah. I've always, I'm, I always like being near the coast. I'm always like, I want to be, you know, within a couple hours of salt water, but if there's any place in on this continent uh, that I, I could I, I think I could live without a coastline being super close. Those sky islands, the, the cross-section of habitats there, the quality of the, the, the birds. And it just, it's just such a, such a fun place to go birding. That's, I'm glad to hear yeah. it's uh, the festival was a good time. Cause that is a great one. A really fun one. It really is. Uh, Tucson Audubon does a great job putting it on always they, they have so many different activities and um, groups that they support and it's it's just fun all the way around yeah yeah i can't wait to get back to that one yeah there's a, an, another one that we uh, all have participated in is the space coast birding festival and that is coming up uh in january late january of 22 it's been reimagined uh since the last time they held it it's going to be real exciting to uh to hear how that goes. Uh, and, and maybe one or two of us here will, will be in attendance. I hope I did want to mention a couple other things, um, before we get to final thoughts here, a couple things, uh, we thought the audience, uh, our listeners might enjoy another podcast, nature's archive 
Dr. Doug Tallamy from the University of Delaware talks about the magic of oaks and how oak trees are awesome and how we should all plant oaks. If you can plant oaks near you, you can feed a lot of birds. So I'd really recommend that podcast, Nature's Archive, the most recent episode uh, with Doug Tallamy on the magic of oaks was great. Uh, Our friends to the north up in Canada uh, on September 19th, they have the 2021 Great Canadian Birdathon. Uh, they're raising money for Birds Canada, uh, which is is really the organization in Canada that does all sorts of incredible research and conservation and outreach. There, while the event is happening this September 19th, they're taking donations till the end of the year. Uh, so definitely encourage folks to check out the Great Canadian Birdathon. Um, the Global Birding Weekend is coming up. Um, what did we decide? That was October 8th, 9th, and 10th. Global Bird Weekend. Uh, get out and bird that weekend. All your sightings, enter them into eBird. You'll end up being a part of this really cool event. And then also uh, there is a Rethink Birding Travel Expo coming up December 3rd through the 5th. It's powered by our friends at Birdwatchers. Digest, and it's all about reimagining travel uh, today in the sort of the, the post COVID era or the ongoing COVID era, perhaps I should say. And finally, sort of a personal plug for our friends uh, at the American Birding Association. I wanted to thank them for doing a really, really great profile in uh, their interview. Uh, section of the magazine there on my father and uh, Henry T. Armistead was profiled in the latest issue and Pops, my dad, was just thrilled by the way it all came out. Uh, The team uh, there did a really good job. Thanks to them and thanks for everybody for your feedback on uh, on the interview. It's meant a lot to my dad who just turned 81 today, as a matter of fact. So, uh, so that was a birthday. Yeah. Thanks. So anyway, those are a few things I wanted to to share with that. Uh, Molly, some final thoughts. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I'm, I'm getting ready for my first East coast pelagic. So I can't wait to talk about how that goes. Uh, I think this will drop before I head to outer banks. So if anybody has recommendations on birding around the outer banks, I'll be there the last week of September and would love to hear where to go. Nice. Yes. That'll be great. We can't wait to hear it goes. And Al, final thoughts, your side of ego. Well, I was just thinking about, um, bird studies, Canada, that before they were that, they were the Long Point Bird Observatory, and that's where I had my first ever kind of, you know, training as a bander, science, anything. And they took me in as a kind of a, a young teenager. You know, a lot of people had to sign off on allowing me to go in there. And I'm surprised you got. I'm surprised you got on there, knowing what I know. And uh, they, they, and so I always have. Uh, a special kind of place for Long Point Bird Studies Canada. They sort of really helped me out when I was just a, you know, annoying little bird nerd kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a great organization. Our friends uh, Jody Allaire, Yusuf Atia, and others, they're doing really, really good work. Cool beans, guys. Well, um, looking forward to doing this again. And hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Cheers, Al and Molly. 
All right. Thank you. See you, next See time. you all.